This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for insights for global investors and access to research and expertise from across the investment industry. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is August 19th, 2021. Today, despite progress, the investment industry can still seem like a club where you can't even peek through the window without knowing the secret handshake. That's why role models and mentors are essential especially for historically underrepresented groups, if they are even to have a chance at success. For the full story on the impact they can have, we turn to our man in London, Oliver Williams. Thank you very much, Adam. Today we are talking to three individuals who share their own unique insights into how mentoring and role models can benefit the corporate world. We will be joined by the sponsor of MECI's Global Mentoring Program and its EMEA Internship Program. I'm Lee Phillips and I'm responsible for the EMEA Analytics client coverage business at MSCI. I'm also country manager for the UK business, which means that in addition to analytics, I help clients with index, ESG and climate and private market solutions. One of the founders of MSCI's Women in Tech program. My name is Cloud Force, and I'm the head of analytics program management at MSCI, and I work out of the Berkeley office. And finally, but by no means last. My name is Dr. Dwayne Neal. I received an OBE in 2019 for services to the African Caribbean community. I'm the chairman of Reach Society, which is a social enterprise, which in 2017 won the Queen's Award for Voluntary Service for Inspiring Young People. Mentoring, role models, both can play an important part of an individual's development. Uh, if you look at what a mentor is, it's a, it's a trusted advisor, someone who will listen, someone who can draw on their own experiences to help a mentee. So therefore, to be a good mentor, you do need to be a role model. There, there has to be that strong connection with your mentee to help build trust. So role models are um, paramount. If it works, it can be hugely beneficial to career development. And um, we spend a a lot of time as part of that global mentoring program to ensure that we match mentors and mentees. However, this relationship isn't a one-way street. Organizations benefit from role modeling and mentorship as well. At MSCI, it really helps us to build and support the next generation of talent across our organization. Uh, And that's focused on ensuring that we hire the best new talent from uh, a variety of backgrounds. And mentoring really helps us to retain and develop that new talent in which we brought into the firm and help support them through the early phases of their career. We're living in a time of increased awareness of diversity, equality and inclusion. And this is another area where role models can provide crucial support. Cloudforce told us her parents didn't really follow a traditional career path. College wasn't a big thing for them. So when she decided she wanted to attend Mills College in Oakland, California, it was a bit of a shock. I loved the fact that it was in one of the most diverse areas of the country and had a large population of international students and had a huge amount of programs given the size of the college, which to me signified a curious and engaged student body that I knew I'd really enjoy being a part of. And then 
she found out it was an all-woman's college. I literally almost changed my mind. And in retrospect, it ended up being a huge blessing in disguise because I'm actually not sure I would have studied computer science if I had gone to a co-ed school. And at Mills, there was less bias as to what you should or shouldn't study because of your gender. And I had the gift of being able to follow my own interests without any of that getting in the way. I was able to follow my own interests without gender getting in the way. That's an interesting thought, because to this day, finance, tech, engineering, all of these careers remain male-dominated and very white. It's funny because I actually had no idea that the software industry was male-dominated until after I graduated. And um, the first company that I ended up at in Silicon Valley had only other one other female software engineer at the time. So it was quite a shift from going from an all-women's college. And I did feel a bit like a fish out of water. And in my 20-year career in engineering, I've had at least a dozen managers and not one of them was female. And I suppose one good thing is that it has enabled me to carve out my own path. But that does take a lot of extra effort and can be exhausting at times to always be the first, to always be the unique one in the room, whatever that is. And Dwayne agreed. In 1979, when I joined Shell International Chemicals, um, an awful lot of my white peers, young and old, were surprised because I was, for all intents and purposes, maybe the first high uh, potential black employee um, that they had had to, to work with. And there were more than one or two occasions when it was quite clear they did not welcome me being a part of the team. But Dwayne had an advantage, a senior figure in the organisation who guided and mentored him and let it be known. So in a scenario where you're having to fight to establish yourself and there are many people who are willing to trip you up, that type of relationship can go a very long way. You still have to play your part. There is no easy ride in life, but that is helpful. Knowing that I was sponsored by someone who was very senior that could influence their future and my future, many of them kept their own counsel. And I think, Oliver, you understand this as well as I do. Even in the 21st century, those challenges are still there. I had been invited to New York, uh, our New York office, a couple of years ago for a Women's Leadership Summit. And I um, there was a moment when I was actually sitting in the room and I was looking around and, and I realized that I was the only female engineering manager in the room. And I just started to think about, you know, like kind of what I had learned in, in college. And, and, and it's true, like we, you know, we didn't, in engineering school, we didn't have a, in mine at least, we didn't have a huge emphasis on um, presentation, executive presence and things of that nature. And I started thinking about you know, the women that were on my team that, you know, were, were brilliant engineers and, and would they be able to one day have the opportunity to to be in a leadership session like this? And that's, you know, part of what prompted the awareness that having a women in tech group in order to be able to 
connect on on topics such as that and to be able to you know create some some learning sessions and development sessions that would enable us to be able to you know see what it's like from an engineering standpoint to to stand up and and become a bit more polished I wanted to enable our unseen and unheard brilliant female engineers to have a voice and Launching Women in Tech in partnership with my CTO was a way for us to enable individuals to connect in new and meaningful ways. Cultural capital is a term often reserved for the world of academia, but it is becoming a mainstream debate and it is often interchangeable with having the right social skills within a work environment. One of the most valuable services Reach Society provides is to help build some of that cultural capital for underrepresented groups. Cultural capital is a nice sociology term for talking about the things that need to be known, um, the knowledge and the behaviours that need to be transmitted to uh, young people in order that they will maximise their chances of succeeding. I'm from a family who um, were clearly ambitious and wanted to do the best for their children. As uh, a couple who grew to adulthood in Jamaica, they knew that if they stayed in Jamaica, the opportunities for their children would be limited. So they consciously relocated to the UK to give us access to an education system that just wasn't available uh, in Jamaica. And every day we were encouraged to work hard because this is important for our future. Within REACH Society, one of our patrons, uh, Professor Sir Jeff Palmer, puts it this way. He talks about system consciousness. And to me, cultural capital and system consciousness are speaking to the same point. If you live in a country and you do not know how the system works in that country, then your chances of succeeding in that country are low. It's the same thing around cultural capital. If you don't have people around you who are able to encourage you to do certain things, to create certain opportunities for you to broaden your experiences, then there are many of the things that you should be aware of and things that you should develop that which you don't. And invariably, you don't have quite as much on display compared to young people who have had that sort of guidance, have had that sort of encouragement, have had that sort of support. I'm rather proud of REACH Society because we decided to do something about continuing to impact positively Uh, young people in the black community. And after six months of deliberation and lots of coffee, we designed and prepared REACH Society, which we rolled out in the October of 2010. And we are now into the start of our 11th year. But across that period, we have impacted more than 25,000 young people uh, across uh, the UK in a number of urban centres. And we do that by involving dozens of employers and scores of voluntary role models in the inspirational activities 
we roll out, you know, large inspirational events which allow young people to have conversations with lots of uh, role models from their cultural background, with lots of employers who are willing to tell them what they need if they were going to join firms like theirs. And it would then give them plenty to think about, but at the same time, exposing the wide range of opportunities. Lee Phillips has his own perspective on the impact of cultural capital. I went to a a, a normal um, state school in in East London. Uh, It wasn't very good academically. It was um, famous for being bottom of the league tables in our area. Uh, And and I did pretty well in my exams, but uh, I didn't really get the support from the school. And I didn't have anyone in our family and friends network who could who could help me and prepare me for uh, interviews at the uh, elite universities which you have in in England. And so I um, applied to um, for natural sciences at Cambridge and I went along to the interview and I was woefully underprepared uh, and and I felt as though I just came out of it and thought, um, there's no way I will get into Cambridge, and I didn't. Uh, and it's been one of the things which I've always felt, was I smart enough to go there? I think I was, most probably. But did I have the awareness? Um, did I have the right preparation to prepare myself for that interview? Absolutely not. So there was a natural unconscious bias in, 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 in everybody. Um, people tend to gravitate towards people who... Uh, I like them. Um, similar personalities, similar interests, uh, similar backgrounds, uh, and that's and that's part of life. Which is a challenge for companies, actually, because if they want to hire and develop the best talent, they have to start looking outside the box. Everyone we interviewed for this piece came from a non-traditional background. All of them are recognised experts that excel in their fields. And, as Cloud put it, when you're the only one in the room of something, whatever it is, it's sometimes hard to show up with your authentic self. It's not enough to create a diverse environment. You must also think about how to make that environment more inclusive. Mentoring can take many forms and can come in many guises. It doesn't necessarily have to be a formal program for it to make an impact. I think I'll let you into a little secret. I've never, ever had a, a formal mentor but um, I've certainly had a number of informal ones um, um, in my career. One example was a very senior managing director in research in my first job. He was a really interesting character. He a true polymath. He knew everything about all subjects and he also had this great sense of humor but importantly he was someone who I looked up to and respected and he was approachable as well. He, he really helped me navigate through some of the early challenges in my career in finance. I spent um, nearly 20 years in investment banks and he gave me the confidence to believe in myself, to uh, challenge the status quo and to absolutely do everything you can to help your clients. I'd say that I've learned a little bit of something from everyone I've encountered along my career and some of the most useful lessons um, 
have been around experiencing what not to do. <laughs> so I think you can have role models in either direction, you know, and that can also be, you know, very valuable if you're able to learn from that and, and reflect and move things in a more positive direction. The various backgrounds and experiences of all of our guests instilled one thing, a desire to give back. Being born and raised in East London and the first person in my family to go to university, I'm a I'm a big believer in social mobility and diversity. And I know how daunting it can be to start a career in, in our industry. And I focused a lot on mentoring diverse talent uh, over the years to really help them prepare for a career in our industry. And look, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I got a lot out of it. And I'm still in touch with many of my former mentees today. It's not only the mentee who benefits. Really, it's both the mentor and the mentee who win. Uh, and every time I've been part of a mentoring relationship, I've, I've got something out of it myself. It's a great way to connect with people. It's a great way to get a, a really good cultural understanding as well. So we have, I'm currently mentoring two colleagues in Asia Pacific, one in Japan, one in Singapore. And I've never worked in Asia before. And, and my engagement with them has really helped me to develop a, a, a much better global understanding of clients in different regions and our business. And, and those small cultural nuances are actually um, pretty important. So it's, it's really been a learning process for me as well. In the UK, many students aspire to get into what is commonly known as the Russell Group Universities these are similar in stature to the Ivy League universities in the US and are in the same cohort as Oxford and Cambridge. This group has recently been taking very deliberate action to attract candidates from underrepresented groups. Reach Society has a connection with one of the Russell Group universities, Durham University, which approached Reach Society a few years ago. Durham is definitely in the top 24 universities in the UK. It is the third oldest uh, university in England, and it is in the class of Oxbridge. Um, and for that university to have approached us to want to collaborate with us in order to attract more black students who are homegrown uh, was an honor. There is so much that should be uh, done to help children to grow to become viable adults. Um, we realize in REACH Society that we can't do it all. And so we have been very focused on what we do. And what we do is to create opportunities for young people to see a wide range of opportunities to pick up from the role models, from the firms, the stepping stones, and then choose where they're going. We're rather proud of the relationship over the last two, three years that we've developed with Durham University. It allows a lot of talented black youngsters, boys and girls, to participate in their summer school, which is known as Durham Step. And from that summer school experience, many of them are offered places at that university. It is about awareness. So it's about having these really smart, kids who live in, in inner cities who haven't been exposed to um, some of the opportunities which other people who are applying for the same jobs have been. So what 
candidates can do is try to try to get that understanding early on. So we at MSCI partner with some external partners to focus on university students to help them understand more about our industry. And, and we do that at university time before they apply for MSCI and before they um, come into the firm and before they um, get challenged by people in the interview process. And so it's about helping create that level playing field so we hire the best talent. Employee resource groups, ERGs, can also form part of a quasi-mentoring setup. MSCI's Women in Tech ERG, which was started in June last year, is a good example. There was a lot of interest in wanting to understand one's unique superpowers so they could realize the best version of themselves. And I think this comes from the pressure of needing to to be the best, to feel that you even deserve a seat at the table if you're the only one of something. And um, what I've found, you know, the most um, exciting about this group is is the community aspect of it, and um, it's it's really powerful to be able to to connect on shared experiences and to be able to have strong camaraderie with one another. Even though the name is Women in Tech, I understand it's inclusive of all, irrespective of being male or female. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yes. Um, we really wanted to champion an inclusive environment, even from a women in tech you know, perspective. And the way in which we're looking at it is that, that anyone um, who self-identifies with being a woman in tech, even if they're, they're not actually in a, an engineering position, if they're not in the technology organization, they're, they're more than welcome to join. And having allies, you know, it's usually the, the insiders in the room, in a sense, those who, who actually are in a position to where it's, you know, more, more common for them to be in that role. Um, having them to be able to be a part of our community is actually, in my opinion, um, you know, one of the, the more important aspects of this because they're the ones who who can create space in the room when when you know there there's only one of like you know let's say a woman in tech that's that's there and uh, if they understand you know what it is that we're trying to achieve then they're the ones who will really help us to be able to get there so i i believe that there is a very important role for senior management in all employment um to to play in the development of of, um, new hires. I believe senior managers should both mentor and sponsor um, new hires. And I also believe that they should take a close interest in the management of HR policies. And I say that because there are many talented black and brown uh, hires who find that their careers are stultified. And in many instances, they are driven out of the firm that they were working with for a while for lack of opportunities. Now, senior managers alive to HR programs are in a really good position to ensure that that doesn't happen. It cannot be a ticking the box exercise. You've got to have a team of motivated individuals who have a have a passion for diversity and inclusion to be part of those schemes and to really lead that. And so uh, a successful scheme will rely on the recruitment of 
high quality mentors who will put in the effort and time needed to ensure a good experience for um, that mentee. And you need people who really have um, have the energy to do that. And so, uh, and then the final thing I think is constant feedback. You've got to ensure that there's formal check-ins, informal check-ins with both mentor and mentees to make sure it's working. Is this something you would agree with, Cloud, specifically in relation to individuals and their own motivations? Is there any advice you would give to young women looking to enter the technology space? You know, I would honestly say that, you know, if you're interested in tech, then just to follow that curiosity and explore what about it you find the most intriguing and dive deeper into that. I'm a huge believer, as you may have noticed, (laughs) in following the path that you're naturally intrigued by. And I fell into computer science myself because I liked mathematics and was exploring a class I had never heard of before um, called discrete mathematics my first year in college. And that just happened to be run by the head of the computer science department and the rest was history. And and I feel like there's, um, you know, an opportunity to always grow and always learn. Um, I think the growth mindset you know, it's um, it's something that, you know, I, I've i learned over the years that the more and more and more that you know, like <laughs> the more that you realize how much, not just how much you don't know, but even how much you don't know that you don't know. <laughs> and so I feel like it just brings in a huge amount of um, possibility, I would say. Um, and uh, I wouldn't, not necessarily opportunity, but maybe opportunity for awareness of, of what else is out there. I really just want to share two quotes, and they're quotes I use fairly often, depending on the situation I'm in. And, and they're these. Uh, I overheard an EU commissioner saying in an interview, without passion, there is no action. And without compassion, the wrong thing is done. And that's never left me. And the other quote that uh, I use often was by Robert Kennedy, who, as you will know, was the 64th US Attorney General. And he's on record as saying, the future is not a gift, it's an achievement. The future is not a gift, it's an achievement. That's all for this week. Our thanks to Dwayne, Lee, and Cloud, and to all of you for listening. And a special thanks to Oliver Williams for bringing it all together. Next up on Perspectives, Anthony Kruger of iShares and our own Reina Oberoi explain why ESG and factor investing are a match made in heaven. Until then, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe, everyone.